This is the 10-Minute Medic, the podcast for busy paramedic students. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Young. It's fall of the year, and this is the time that healthcare providers begin to think about childhood respiratory diseases. In this podcast, we'll take a brief look at some of the more common pediatric respiratory diseases that you may come into contact with. Respiratory distress in the pediatric patient is not uncommon, but can be frightening for the child, their caregiver, and you as the paramedic. You should keep in mind that the most common etiology of pediatric cardiac arrest is a problem with the respiratory system in the child. Not many children have coronary artery disease, and thus make sure you're looking for a respiratory problem in all of your cardiac arrest. Recall back to your physiology that children do a fairly good job of compensating when faced with respiratory insufficiency. However, unlike the adult who has a gradual downward curve towards decompensation, children will often go from compensated to decompensation in a matter of minutes. For purposes of this podcast, we'll need to agree on some definitions. First, respiratory distress. This is defined as a condition in which there's not enough oxygen being delivered to the alveoli. This results in an increase in both the rate as well as the tidal volume of the breathing. In severe cases, the patient may activate his accessory muscles to help move air. Because of the increase in the respiratory rate, the amount of CO2 in the blood will decrease as it is being blown off. At some point, the child will begin to fatigue. You should be very aggressive to keep your patient from reaching this point, as respiratory failure is only a short amount of time away. Patients suffering from severe respiratory distress will often have an altered mental status as an early sign. In addition, you may see nasal flaring, retractions, as well as accessory muscle usage to help you move more air. When the patient's head begins to bob, exhaustion is near. Your patient will often proceed to respiratory failure. Respiratory failure is defined as a condition in which the vital organs of the heart and lungs are under-oxygenated. Carbon dioxide will begin to build up as the partial pressure of oxygen within the cell decreases. Because of this, the patient develops respiratory acidosis. At this point, the next phase is respiratory arrest. Be prepared to aggressively deal with the patient's poor ventilatory status. Let's look at some specific respiratory disease pathophysiologies. Croup, also known as laryngotracheal bronchitis, commonly affects infants and toddlers. It's most prevalent during the fall and the winter. Croup will present in a child after they have suffered from an upper respiratory infection for several days that continues to progressively get worse. This is accompanied by a loud barking cough that has become the hallmark identifier of croup. A fever is common in these patients. Because of the presence of edema and inflammation, children with severe croup may be at a higher risk for airway obstruction and thus intubation. Epiglottitis is a true airway emergency in the pediatric patient. It's caused by a bacterial infection of the upper airway and results in inflammation of the epiglottitis. It can be worsened by the paramedic if not handled carefully. Although any age group can experience this disease process at any time, toddlers are the most common population affected. When getting a patient's history, the patient's caretaker may indicate that the patient was fine with no symptoms just a few hours prior to you being called. This rapid onset is accompanied by a sore throat and fever. To better position the airway, you may find the child sitting in a straight-up position with the head, neck, and jaw jutting forward. This is called the sniffing position. Because of the edema near the larynx, the voice will have a muffled sound and the child will report a sore throat. They usually don't cry because they no longer have the energy to do so. This is because their focus is on breathing. These kids just look sick. 
The epiglottis may often swell to the point that the esophagus is obstructed, and the result is the child will drool. This is one of the classic signs of epiglottitis. Bronchiolitis occurs as a result of an acute inflammatory process of the lower airways. Premature infants are at much greater risk than those who are born full term. It's a very contagious disease and can be spread throughout an entire family rather quickly. Because of the reduced size of their airway, infants are at the greatest risk of infection. It's most often caused by the respiratory syncytial virus, more commonly called RSV. Almost all children test positive for the RSV virus by the time they turn two years of age. As part of your public education as a, a health care provider, feel free to share the information that the child does not acquire immunity as a result of one RSV infection. The occurrence of reinfections are common. During the assessment of a child with bronchiolitis, you may lean more towards a diagnosis of asthma as the symptoms are very similar. One way to differentiate between the two is to remember that asthma is almost non-existent in children who are younger than one year old. The child with bronchiolitis will often experience an increase in the respiratory rate, wheezing, crackles, and mild to moderate hypoxia. Keep in mind that if serious symptoms present, such as the child being sleepy or you see his head bobbing because of fatigue, your treatment must be aggressive and your transport rapid. Pneumonia is also a disease process that's caused by an inflammatory reaction within the lung tissue. Although not limited to being caused by an infection, it usually has an infectious etiology. Pneumonia can be caused by exposure to chemicals during a spill or a terrorist act. Most of the time, we can have a fairly sure field diagnosis of pneumonia by our assessment, but it can only be confirmed with an x-ray. Pneumonia can range from a mild respiratory inconvenience to a life-threatening disease with significant morbidity and mortality. Pneumonia is one of the primary killers of children worldwide under the age of five. How a pediatric patient presents is generally a good indicator of how severe the disease process is. Toddlers with pneumonia will commonly present with a productive cough and fever. It may start with nonspecific symptoms that include abdominal pain that is accompanied with or without vomiting. For children older than toddlers, the symptoms are pretty much the same as they are in adults. According to the textbook, Pediatric Emergency Care, by Dr. Rawford Schaffermeyer, any infant or child with respiratory distress or an altered mental status with pneumonia will require hospitalization. The care provided for a pneumonia patient will primarily be supportive with a specific emphasis on the status of the airway and breathing. IV access will often pr provide a mechanism in which any congestion that is consolidated within the lungs can be lubricated, so coughing will help to expel it. Pertussis, more commonly known as whooping cough, is caused by a bacterial infection. This bacteria attaches to the hair-like projection of the cells of the respiratory system, paralyzing them. Keep in mind that the job of these cilia is to move secretions from the pulmonary tree out of the respiratory system. It was one of the most common pediatric diseases in the early 20th century, but has been reduced by as much as 80% because of a vaccine that was developed in the 1940s. The patient with pertussis will suffer from bursts of severe, rapid coughing. It's thought that this is caused by the inability to clear the airway of secretions. During these episodes, the patient may look cyanotic and appear extremely sick. Not uncommon for the patient to vomit at the end of each of these coughing episodes. These coughing attacks occur more at night than they do during the day. Pediatric patients are at greater risk of pneumonia because of pertussis. 
In addition, delivery of oxygen to the brain is hampered during the coughing episodes, and if extensive and extended, it may result in brain damage. Regardless of the cause of the disease, your focus must be on the maintenance of the patient's airway and ventilation. Keep in mind that for young patients, you must place a folded towel under the shoulders to bring the airway into open alignment. The occiput of the infant is so large that it will push the head forward, obstructing the airway. Many small children will not tolerate a non-rebreathing mask for oxygen delivery. In these cases, allow the caregiver to help you. Show him or her how to hold the mask in front of the mouth and nose of the patient to allow additional oxygen to them without causing the child to cry. If the patient appears to be going into respiratory failure, as evidenced by head bobbing, retractions or grunting, or cyanosis, you must prepare to intubate your patient. Keep in mind, don't wait until you see cyanosis you start to move because cyanosis is a late sign. Airway and respiratory emergencies are common in the pediatric population, especially during the winter. Keep in mind that children do not have the reserves that an adult does that allows them an extended period of compensation during respiratory failure. Remaining calm for yourself and making deliberate decisions regarding the care that you'll provide will result in a great benefit to your patient. The best skill that you can have as a paramedic is the ability to accurately and quickly assess your patients. Being able to do so will help in identifying and treating these respiratory emergencies. Thanks again for joining us for today's 10-Minute Medic. I'd like to hear from you as to what you would like to see and hear covered on this podcast. Drop me a line at bill.young at eku.edu and give me some suggestions of what I should cover in the 10-Minute Medic. If your suggestion is selected, I'll send you one of the world-famous Eastern Kentucky University Department of Paramedicine's Unstable Gets the Cable decals. Again, shoot me your ideas at bill.young at eku.edu, and have a great day.